All right, do you guys have your lights up? No? Doug. No tree? Oh, what a bad person. A bad American. Um, I, got my, I got my lights up. Aaron got the, uh, the, the, the in, inner house stuff up. I, I, do a, I, I try to aim for like a solid B on lights. Because like, I, I don't want my kids to be disappointed necessarily by the lights. But I also don't want to put in the monumental effort and or pay somebody um, to do the, the, crazy, the crazy stuff. Uh, and, and, and I do love the crazy stuff. In fact, we have a tradition every year at one point or another, usually around like the late teens and early twenties of December, we'll just hop in the car and we'll go look at the lights, you know, just stop everything and find like one of those, I think there's a street in Ladera where they really go over the top and you're just like, man, I personally, I'm kind of like, I'm, I'm questioning their motives. I'm a, I'm a bad, I'm a cynic, but the kids, the kids are like, wow, that's amazing. That's beautiful. And just kind of, you know, you just sort of stop, and it's like it's kind of like a reset for the season, in some ways. Uh, and, and last week we we started the series, "What I'm Not Doing for Christmas," and we listed, uh, we were kind of looking at the way that that Scripture kind of talks about anticipating God's coming salvation, and the way we, we said one of the things that we're not going to do is we're not going to be running around like chickens with our heads cut off. Instead, we're going to be resting. Uh, which is really, really hard to do. This is the, I mean, why is it that this is the most insane time of year when it really should be the most contemplative time of year? Well, how do we do it though? I mean, let's just say that that's true, that really what God's asking for us to do is to, is to be resting um, in, in some way to prepare for the coming of the Lord, to prepare for his salvation. What does that look like? Well, today we're going to see God going out and looking at the lights. God's going to go look at the lights and we're going to do it with him. We're going to, we're going to kind of draw from that a, like a, a rhythm or a practice for ourselves, not even just for the Christmas season, but for life, something that we should be doing, but we don't. Let me read. Um, this is uh, the TNIV version of um, Genesis one thirty one to, to 2.3. This is the creation story. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening, there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. It's actually, it's a, it's a very, it's a very deep, strange text. Uh, the, the first thing, I, just as a background, um, Yahweh in the Old Testament is the only God who ever takes a break. There are many gods in the ancient world. And, and, and the gods are depicted as being constantly doing stuff. They never stop. Uh, and most of what they're doing is bad, but they're always like wrestling with somebody or oppressing someone. They're always demanding this. Or, but God is the only God who ever stops. And I just want to take a, a closer look at, at, this, at this first verse. It's very interesting. So uh, the, the Hebrew is a little strange because in most modern translations, they leave out what I think is maybe the most important word in the sentence. Okay, uh, our English translation says, God saw all that he had made and it was very good. 
Now, uh, in Hebrew, there is a, uh, there, there's an extra word. It's hine, and it would fit right where, like, uh, and, between and and it. There's, there's this, there's this hine. And it's, it's, uh, it's kind of the Hebrew for, like, um, in Old English, they would say things like, lo, or behold. But really, it's just the Hebrew for, dude, check this out. It really is. It's like anytime, anytime uh, in, in Hebrew where you want to like just stop and, point and emphasize something, dude, check this out. You throw in a little hine. It doesn't really have a, an English, it would really be, yeah, just like dash, dash, dude, check this out. God saw all that he had made. It was very good. I have a picture from uh, Van, Van, Van Oosten, 19th century uh, Flemish artist. Uh, this, is, this is Van Oosten's uh, portrayal of God creating, right? God's going around and, and, and God's like, he's doing this and he's doing that. If you know the creation story, he's had six days. He's made light and dark. He's made the heavenly bodies. He's made the earth. He's made the sky, the water, the, uh, the creepy crawly things, the things that live in the water, the things that live in the sky, the things that roam over the earth. He's even created human beings in his image, this is, uh, there's, it's like he's this mass, he's this inventor and he's doing this and he's doing that. And, and the, the Hebrew really feels like, it's like God, God saw, like he steps back. God saw and dude, check this out. This is really good. Now the ancient world, this would, this would be, it, it's the idea of being like God's done all this stuff and now God's appreciating sort of what God has done. Like stepping back and looking at God's work and being like, that's really, I'm, I'm really good at this. I'm good at creating stuff. I'm neat. And in the ancient world, uh, if you think about like the ancient, ancient world, the way that they operate, the ec- economy in the ancient world, um, all, all economic functions were based on two basic uh, things that people did. That is raise animals and raise crops. It was agricultural. Got some pictures of hog farmers and tenant farmers in the United States. Hog farming is probably a really awful thing. I, I don't know where, if Trent's here or not, but oh, Trent, there you are. Trent. Trent grew up as a hog farmer. He has some really horrible stories about things that they did to pigs. But here's one cool thing about uh, hog farming that's different than in, in what we experience. Is if you're a hog farmer, right, um, it's really easy to see the result of what you've done. Imagine, so God's out there and God's like, he's creating horses. And he's like, dude, look, there's horses. Well, hog farmers get to do something similar, right? They mate mommy and daddy hog, family of hogs, and they see little hoglets. They're like, ah, look at that. And moreover, it's very easy, especially in the ancient world where you're living in a rural context, right? Where you kind of know everybody. You see all these people eating bacon and you're like, you're welcome. That's from me. I did that. Likewise, if you're, you know, if you're a, a farmer or a, or a rancher of some kind, you like, you, you, grow the wheat and you see the cows eating it and you see the is do you, we make bread out of wheat right is that that is right right okay and you see the bread that's being baked and you're like look at that i did that that's really cool look at all the, all the flourishing that's going on it was backbreaking labor like hog farming and raising wheat is not fun it's brutal stuff but it's really easy to to not easy, but if you, if you do stop and you rest and you look around, it's really, you can appreciate what's happened. This is the first thing you're noticing. On the first Sabbath, God stepped back to really appreciate what he'd created. Now, God's not just doing this. God's modeling this, and eventually he's commanding us to do likewise. He's not just saying, oh, you, you know, I'm going to step back and appreciate what I've done. He's really saying, humanity, you also need to take time out of your week to step back and appreciate what you've created. 
and really what I've assisted you in creating. You need to enjoy it, to look at it and be like, I did that. There's a problem. The problem is is that we don't farm hogs anymore. Trent was like, I'm out of here. Never going back. Going to do finance instead. (laughs) Uh, True fact, so... um, in 1950, over the last 50 years, and I have a graph for this, last 50 years, um, there's been a tremendous like drop in agricultural work in the United States of America. In 1950, 10% of the population was an active either farm laborer or you know, owner or something like that. 10% of the population worked on farms. That today is less than 2%. So there's been a, a gutting of our of that type of industry. Also, over the last uh, two centuries, the United States has been, has been going f- since like uh, 1790 is our first uh, data. I have a slide for this too. You'll notice that at the very beginning of the United States of America, about 4% of the population lived in what we would call a city. Um, a city, an, an urban environment that w- what we're familiar with, 4%, meaning that 96% of the people lived on farms or in small villages. Uh, as of 2000, over 80% of the United States population lives in what we would think of as, a, as an urban or suburban uh, context. 80%. What that means is over the last uh, se- several centuries and then really compressed massively in the last 50, 60 years, 70 years, we have gone from a population that is intimately connected to the land to a population that has no clue how, I don't even know that bread's made out of wheat, okay? That's how bad the division is. Instead, when we think of work and labor, we tend to think of office space. Got a picture of Ron Livingston, there he is. Sitting there, hammering out TPS reports. Bleep, 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 bleep. Print, 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 print. PC load letter. I mean, it's, it's a, there, there's almost no tangible connection to what we regularly produce and anything in the real world. I mean, think about that. Isn't that bizarre? Like the vast majority of laborers in our, in our contemporary environment have, see, it's, to step back and be like, wow, gosh, I filled out a lot of memos this week. Way to go, me. Man, did you see how many emails I moved? Wah! That felt great. We, we don't even, we have no concept of what it is to produce anymore. And that makes it really difficult for us to actually practice Sabbath the way that God intended it to be practiced. It's hard for us to step back. I, I will say, um, we also have had a massive in, increase in the service industry. Uh, in fact, like my job would be considered part of the service industry, uh, people helping people, healthcare, things like that. If you're in teaching, uh, firefighters, fish and wildlife, if you're, if you're in those types of things, it's a little, a little easier to see, right? If you're teaching, presumably you'd be like, wow, that kid was terrible at the beginning of the year and now it's worse. I've done an awful job. You can see the difference that's, that's taken place, right? Well, but for a lot of us, we can't. It's really hard. And so I've got a little vision check. We should call it the dude check this out check. Are we actually plugged into the connection between what we're producing, what we're doing at work, and, and the world as a whole? Do you believe what you do matters? Especially if you're just looking at reports. 
That could be a really difficult thing. But it might be possible to step back and, and kind of in the aggregate say, well, I know that my company or my firm does X, Y, or Z, and I know that that has led to this. And maybe that can have some, a little more of a connection. It's intellectual connection to what matters, but it's, it's, at least it's something rather than I filled out a lot of reports. Number two, what sort of impact has our world had, our work had in the community country world? This is actually a dangerous question. I don't think anyone here works for Disney. But if you did, you should consider quitting because your company is ruining the world. All right? Now, I'm, not, I, I'm not only joking here. I am a little bit serious. We, we do have an obligation, really, to think about you know, it's, it, because it's so easy for us to not see what our work does, it could be really easy for us to be a part of something that's kind of evil. In fact, it might be that we might step back and God's like, look, I made horses and mountains. And we're like, oh, I increased suffering. But you notice that the way our economy is designed is it's designed to, to hide that from us. Number three, what would help us get perspective on Sabbath? Uh, assuming that we really are going to follow God's example and, 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 and pr- instead of running around like crazy people this Christmas, instead we're going to try to practice actual rest. What's going to help us what, when we're actually doing this? What's going to help us see and appreciate the value of the labor that we've done? What practices might we impl- employ to do that? For a lot of us, especially um, those of you who are like, you know, you, you do sit behind a computer a lot and you do a lot of that, it, it, it's worth stopping and saying, hey, look, look at what these paychecks that I get have been able to provide for people that I love. You know, look at, look at the way I've been able to, you know, do this for these disadvantaged folks that I otherwise wouldn't have been able to do. That sort of mentality is a part of divine rest. And if you're not doing it, you're probably not very grateful. And you might really, really hate your work. Let's go back to the text. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So, on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Uh, that word is Shabbat, rested, Shabbat. But what's interesting about Shabbat, where we get our word Sabbath, is it doesn't mean rest. Uh, this is an example of where translators have, have taken the context and the, tri- and the tradition of uh, the Jewish and Christian tradition and have, have made a word mean something it doesn't actually mean. Uh, there's a lot of different words for rest in Hebrew. A lot of them, there's words for repose, lie down, relax, sleep. Those words are all there. This is not that word. This word is stop. So on the seventh day, he stopped. He ceased. He desisted from all his work. That's what it really should say if we were going to be really hard-nosed about the translation. Why? Well, the, the problem here is that... that well, next, next slide. Did, did you know where our weekend comes from? Do, does anyone here know how long there has been a two-day weekend in the United States of America? 100 years, that's exactly right. 1908 was the very first weekend it was employed. Uh, there were some children working in a cotton mill in New England <laughs> back when the children still had the right to work. And, uh, and, and the kids... <laughs> the kids <laughs> Freedom, liberty. 
The kids, part of the kids in this cotton mill, uh, a, a number of them were Jewish. They were from poor Jewish families. Uh, the, the, the Sunday had always been a day off, or really since probably the, the, since the Catholic Church kind of instituted Christendom in the West, there's been a Sunday off. But Saturdays came because there were these poor Jewish kids at this cotton mill, and the owner of the cotton mill <laughs> took pity on them and wanted them to be able to celebrate the Jewish Sabbath just as Christians were allowed to, to, to celebrate the Christian Sabbath. Why? Why, why, why? Well, this guy was not a heartless cotton mill owner. He saw these kids were exhausted. They were working themselves to the bone. They were working 12-hour shifts. They weren't allowed to eat. So they were going for 12 hours at a time, often overnight, right? And they're, and they're, and they're slaving away six days a week, and, and, and he's just he's heartbroken. They're exhausted. These kids, are, their growth is stunted. They have no time to learn. Their, their lives are being ruined by labor. They're, they're tired as all get out. And so in 1908, the, the practice of the two-day weekend started coming into American culture. And the reason being that in the United States of America, work was hard. And people were exhausted. Let's go back to the text. God finished creating the heavens and the earth. His back was sore. He walked in. The house was empty. His wife had already fallen asleep. He didn't see any of the kids, and he just sat down on the couch and turned on the television. I mean, is that what is that where? No, no, that's not what's, what's going on here at all. God finished his project, so he stopped. Right? He's sitting there. God's like, God, God doesn't get tired. God doesn't get exhausted. I mean. It, there's some indication that God might some, in some ways get exhausted, like emotionally or something like that, in some parts of the Bible. But, but certainly God, I mean, he's just like, all he does is speak. Like, you, heavens, earth, trees, kids, whatever. Like, he just does it. So God doesn't need a break. What's going on? Last week I shared about the uh, best Christmas gift I got in 1990. That was Gargoyle's Quest for the Game Boy. One year before, 1989, great Christmas. One of the best. And the crowning jewel that year was, do do you remember? What is it? Oh, stop it. No, it's the, the Black Seas Barracuda. You remember this? The Black Seas Barracuda, the pirate ship, six working cannons? Yeah, like, it, <laughs> amazing thing. Uh, what, a, what a treat that was. Interesting, though, interesting. Think, think about the logic behind Legos. Okay, Legos are ingenious. In fact, I think they're pretty much responsible for the entire economy of, like, one of those, what country do they come from? Like, Norway or something? What is it? Denmark. Yeah, one of those. They're all the same. Scandinavian countries. One of those Scandinavian countries is like, no one does anything. Everyone just, just gets checks from like the Lego factory. Like that's how the, the country functions. Yeah, yeah. Th- thanks, America. Uh, well, think about Legos. Think about what, what happens. Um, so it's not just, first you get to create the thing. And that's a lot of fun. I mean, making that boat was awesome. Love doing it. 
If your kids like Legos, you, you know that, that whether they're following the instructions or doing something just out of their imagination, the actual act of building and creating is part of the fun. But that's not where the fun stops. Because once you've built the Black Seas Barracuda, then you get to go and sack the, I think it was the Eldorado, I think Scott and Jeff, I think you guys had the Eldorado Spanish thing probably. And, and, and so the Black Seas Barracuda comes over and I lay waste to your fort. We get to have imaginative play. It's a lot of fun. You create the thing and then you get to play with it. Contrast this to the psychopaths who practice ship in a bottle building. Just models in general. What is wrong with you people? I watched a video on the ship and the bottle thing. It, it, you, you, it, the people who do this are everything you'd expect. They're all engineers. So, Dennis, do you do a lot of model building? Never? Okay, good. All right, awesome. Good job. Uh, they're all engineers. They, they, zero social skills. Um, not you, Dennis. You're very social. That's why, see, that's why. Got it. And then at the very end, it's crazy. Like, they drop the thing, they drop the ship in, and, like, they pull the string, and it, like... And, and it's, it's great when, you, when the, the video is on the guy doing it, his eyes just light up as the, as the, the, the mask comes up. And he's like, oh! Well, I guess I'd better start another ship in the bottle. I'm being a little facetious, of course. Like, there is, um, I think there is a kind of playing that goes on with after you finished your model, like putting the models up on the thing and looking at them and, show, and sharing them with other people. Like, I, I'm joking, but seriously, if you make models, you're ridiculous. Notice the difference, though. The difference is on Legos, yes, you create and build, but then you play. You create to play, right? Uh, with the models, you create and then you do nothing. You stop. Which is God doing with the creation? To be fair, this text uh, doesn't come down on that. This text, uh, the, the text that we have here, Genesis 1 to 2, about the Sabbath, doesn't tell us what God does when he stops. But I think that if we sort of import, one, one thing we can say is that the word for God in this text is Elohim, which is a plural word. Uh, it can, it, it's translated as gods in most contexts. Um, this is why in Genesis 1, God says, let us create humankind in our image. Those plurals there, because instead of the Yahweh, which is the normal word for God, uh, it's using Elohim, which is a plural form of the word God. And I think, I think that maybe what's going on there is that the Old Testament is hinting towards the fact that the Godhead is Father, Son, and Spirit. And I think that the Old Testament is hinting at the fact that when we say God is spirit, we're saying that God is, is uh, deeply involved in everything that we see and experience. That God doesn't just like make a tree and then walk away, but instead God in the spirit participates in the flourishing of that tree. God doesn't just make humanity in his image and take off. Rather, God through the spirit is present to and guiding humanity. That the creation isn't just left alone. God's not a clockmaker who makes the clock and then walks off. Rather, God is intimately and continuously involved in what God has made. And if that is the case, then when it says God stopped creating, what it means is God stopped creating. So God took a break from creating. But what God would then was playing with the creation. God was enjoying 
what was going on. God was a part of, you know, the, the, the animals flourishing and, and human beings flourishing. God stopped so that God can enjoy the fruits of his labor. We say, don't live to work, work to live. God modeled this. Yes, you should work hard and have projects, but then you should enjoy it. Do we do that? I do. I'm really good at enjoying stuff. I love having fun. But some of you don't. Let's have an enjoyment check. Let's check this out. In this Christmas season, are you intentional about stopping to play? You're supposed to play. We're supposed to play. I don't know what the, uh, what, you know, maybe you come from a tradition or you, you're not necessarily a church person, person and you just assume that, that, that Christians are like these boring, you know, stuck up people. Well, maybe they are or have been, but they really, we really shouldn't be. We should be having fun. And we should be intentional about making sure that we have fun. Number two. What is, what, what's play, what's work? Do you know the difference in your own life, the difference between, and this is a serious question, because there are some people who, like for example, say that you hate, um, you know, hosting parties. Say that that's misery for you. Well then, it might look to others like you're having a lot of fun, but that's work. Let's say that you're a stay-at-home mom. And you spend a lot of time with your kids. And you love them. It might be that they're work. And you might actually need a break from your family. It might be that you can't actually play when they're around. And that's okay. Number three. This again for the moms. They're like, I just need six hours. But what's great about moms, and I know because you're all dedicated, you, you love your kids, and I get this. And, and, and for the stay-at-home dads like myself, same deal. Um, you, you, you get out, right? <laughs> and you leave. And for about 15 minutes, it's great. And then you're like, I really should be back. Think of all the things that need to be done. Aaron, she stresses out because she knows that I, like when I'm watching Soren, I'm just letting him do whatever. The kid's constantly in danger. And so she, she is just terrified. And so she feels guilty. She's like, I shouldn't be on this run. I shouldn't be improving myself. No. You're supposed to stop your projects and enjoy the fruits of your labor. Do I have one more, or is that it? Ah. Do we have the energy to actually play rather than just veg out? Yes, I agree there is an element to, like, especially if you have an exhausting long week. Like, yes, you do probably need to sit there and, like, just chill. And this is to me, man. I mean, I, I totally confess, like, when I'm thinking about not working, what I'm thinking about is, like, getting fatter and not moving. Like, that's, that's kind of my, like, yeah. 
but that's not really what, what God's, I mean, when God, God's not taking a snooze because he needs to recharge his batteries, okay? God, God's stopping the project and he's engaging with the project and he's, and he's helping it flourish and participating with it. There, there isn't, there's an, there's an intentionality and there's, uh, there's a, an action part of play that, uh, that we, we really should engage. If play for you is like, I'm going to sit there and watch every single football game that comes on. Eh, maybe. I'm not going to say it isn't, but I'm going to say that might be a red flag. So, for what's worth. Let's get back to the text. This is so cool. I think we tend to just read over this. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. That word for blessed is barak. Um, it's, we, we can use it. It's kind of like when we say, when we barak God, it's like we, we're praising God. We're like, we're telling God, you're great and I love you. And then God receives that, and that brings joy to God. Okay, that's when humans bless; it means praise or encourage or something like that. But that's not what it means when God blesses stuff. If you go through the Old Testament and you start looking at all the places where God blesses something, you're going to notice a theme and a pattern. Every single time God blesses something, it becomes fruitful. It becomes generative. It beco- it starts creating more stuff. So, when God blesses human beings, he then says, be fruitful and multiply. God's blessing means that you're going to be able to procreate. When God blesses Abraham, he says, God bless Abraham, and then God says, you will be a great nation. Okay, God's blessing on Abraham means that Abraham's going to be, his family and is going to become a dominant, powerful player in the region. It's going to be, they're going to be strong, When God blesses the day, he's making the, the, the day, he's making rest something generative and procreative and fruitful for us. You guys know this guy? Anybody know? Arthur Fry? Worked at 3M? Okay, I'll tell you a story. All right, so Arthur Fry, uh, in the 1970s, he had his buddy named, uh, uh, I think, uh, Spencer Silver. And Spencer Silver was a scientist, and he had created this substance. Um, and it wasn't, it wasn't glue, because when you, when you glue something, it, like, it sticks forever. Uh, and you can't, and you have to break it. But it wasn't not glue either, because it, it made stuff, this was the, over years of thinking about it, Arthur Fry said it's permanently temporary. Right? It's always just a little sticky. Never quite. But Silver was like, I made this stuff. It's pretty neat. You should check it out. And so for years, Fry was like messing with it and he was tinkering and he was focused. How can we turn this into something that makes money? Right? What, what can we use this for? There's got to be something that we need that's not, not super sticky, but kind of sticky and always kind of sticky. So settle down, Jack. I'll get there. It's always you, man peanut gallery. So he's, what, what turns out, what, what Arthur did for fun is he, uh, he sang in the choir at church. And so one uh, evening he was practicing for choir and what, they had hymnals back in those days. We have hymnals too. We never use them, but we have a very nice place to put them so that they can stay there. He used his, uh, and, and he had bookmarks for the various different hymns that he would have to flip to. And one night he stood up and he opened the hymnal and all of his bookmarks fell out. And he was like, 
ah! And so he spent the whole night looking over the shoulder of the guy in front of him to know what he was supposed to sing. And he was like, man, if only I had a bookmark that just would stick, but wouldn't permanently stick. He could take, oh. Thus was born the sticky note. I want you to notice something when Art had his big idea. What wasn't he doing? Working. It was when he was playing. I, I use play in like the broad sense. It's not playing when we're worshiping, but there is a sense that it should be joyful and, and in some ways fun. And he was doing that. He turned his brain off. He was not turned his brain off. He was focusing on the Lord. I get it. But then, bam, it hit him. This is Stephen Blank. Stephen Blank, is, uh, he's a researcher on epiphanies. Epiphanies are those aha moments that every human being has. Uh, it can be a very small thing, like, oh, I know how to fix this problem. Or it can be like, I have now solved this impossible math theorem. But there, there's times and, and places in all of our lives where we're stopping, we're walking around, like, bam, it hits us. And this guy, he goes and he consults. He's, he's talked to, to hundreds and thousands of people who have had life-changing epiphanies. And he says there's one thing they all have in common. Every single epiphany takes place when you're not working. He said, we can't create epiphanies, we can't make them happen, but I can tell you how you just set the stage. Take a break. And the reason this is the case is because as we saw, what God did is he blessed rest. He blessed the Sabbath. He blessed this day so that when you're not doing stuff, you actually become more generative. You become more creative. You become, in fact, ironically, if you want to be better at work, you need to rest and do a good job of it. Is this this the next thing in the note sheets? Is that, are we there yet? Yes. God made Sabbath rest generative for human beings. And one of the things that means is if you really are looking for that, that really powerful moment this Advent season where you really are just fully engaged and fully appreciative and, and just in that sense of gratitude and joy that God has become humanity in Christ and has been with us, has suffered with us. If you're looking for that, I think what Scripture is saying is it, in order to set the stage to make that happen, you have to be a rested person. If it's frenetic and it's moving, da, 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 you're not gonna you're not gonna have a place in your life for that to happen. Let's do a generative check. When was the last time you had an epiphany, even a small one? I had an epiphany last week. Um, I was sleeping, and then I woke up, and it was crazy. I had this vision of like what a Sunday service might look like in the next couple of years here at Coast. And it was slightly different than what we do now. And so I'm not going to do anything about that yet because I don't want you to be mad at me. But, but I was like, what? where did that come from? Wow, that, that's a, that is cool. I hope that happens at some point. But I wasn't at work when it happened. If you're not having any epiphanies, if there are no aha moments, you might be really not resting at all. Number two. 
do we find that our time off improves the quality of our work? A, a good Sabbath, a good rest has benefits for your job. And if that job is taking care of kids, great. If it's, you know, being a financial something, that's good too. If it's teaching, then that. But whatever it is, good time off makes you a better whatever it is you do. Now, that does not mean, if, if you are the person who wakes up every morning and you hate your job because it's horrible, even having a great Sabbath probably isn't going to help. We've got other issues there. I don't want you to think there's this magic thing where it's like, well, I hate my life, but if I sleep more or I play more, then I'll suddenly enjoy. No, that's not how this works. Um, but if you have a reasonable, you're reasonably creative and you're reasonably comfortable and fitting with the labor that you do, then the Sabbath will improve it. Last but not least, have we sensed the Spirit nudging us towards something fresh and new? One of the things about those epiphanies, uh, epiphanies have this, this moment of insight that leads to something different and something fresh. If we're caught in cycles of the same thing over and over and over again, and we don't feel any movement towards something that's different or wild, it might be the case that we're not resting. The bottom line is uh, this. This Christmas season, we all need to find some time to go and look at the lights. We need to, to institute and be intentional and really purposeful about stopping and playing. And that could be really hard this time of year. Especially for those of us who are you know, struggling with loss or grief, um, especially those of us who are concerned about the availability of resources. There's everything in our culture is designed to keep us from just going out and enjoying the lights. But God built us to be people who go and see the lights. And if we do it, if we do it, then we'll be a reflection of who he is in himself. In fact, honestly, what's crazy about this is that if we all began to go out and see the lights and be intentional about it, the, the world would see us and they would be like, why are these people thriving when the rest of us are running around like crazy human beings? They would look at us and be like, why are these people so productive and generative? Why are these people so thrilled and refreshed? Why are these people always coming up with something new and, and having great joy in, in the way that they live? What is with these people? And in some ways here, I am preaching a little bit of the choir. I, I, I gotta say, if there's, if there's two people here who know how to play, I gotta give it to Bill and Rachel Coblenz. I mean, they are, and of course they're over the top and it's totally ridiculous and no one should do what they do. But, but, they, I, I think they, I think there's something to, I think that they have captured something of that Sabbath rhythm to their lives. And I, you know, I didn't ask them if I could do this, so I'm sorry, I apologize. But, no, I don't, I'm not sorry at all. Um, if you want somebody that I think is, is somewhere on there and, and you want to see what it might look like, you should talk to them. Because I would love to have more Koblenzes in this church. Let's pray.
Gracious God, we um, confess that you're the God who rests. You're the God who stops. You're the God who enjoys, who appreciates. You're the God who's always fresh and new and creative. And you've designed us to be like you. God, we ask uh, in this Advent season for a special measure of your spirit to come and settle our hearts. Give us the discipline of desire to stop, to play, and to prepare for your coming salvation. I pray a special prayer for those uh, in the congregation now who are just battling loss, grief, misery, Lord, I pray a special blessing on their play, that they, that they will find uh, respite, that they'll be able to, to find peace and an opportunity to just enjoy the fruits of the labor that you've given them. For those of us who are just busy and we just want to veg out, God, I just pray that we'll have the, an extra measure of energy to go and play well and to thrive and enjoy what you've given us. And ultimately, God, I just pray that every person here will have a special encounter with you uh, this Christmas season as we reflect and, and, and are bowled over yet again by the coming of your Son, the salvation you bring to the world, and the light that you shine in our lives. In his name we pray, God. Amen.